we hired a COO to come in. So it was a guy, ex-military, special ops, like super organized, super driven. You know, he knew nothing about automotive, but he was like a very good, he's a very good leader and good with people. So now they all report to him and you know, I have almost no daily responsibilities. And so like the business continues to grow. I'm not the one driving like that ship. So then I can focus on some of the acquisitions and some of this other stuff I'm working on. So replace yourself as like a store manager, replacing yourself as the district manager, replacing yourself as the COO. And I think that's how whoever can build these massive companies because they can start it, but then they they continue to to move forward and not get stuck in, in those weeds. Welcome to the Road to 100 pod. This podcast is dedicated to folks who have achieved wealth and are looking to achieve greatness. Our interviews and discussions focus on growing your family's wealth and cash flow with investors across asset classes, but with a particular focus on housing and real estate. But there's more to growing your wealth than just capital allocation. So we try to bring you a variety of conversations and experts to help you on your road to 100 million, road to 100% in your health, and road to 100% in your relationships. Please subscribe to get notified as soon as a new episode gets released. Hey guys, uh, really excited to have Brian on today because I think what we were talking about earlier, it's really nice to get outside of the real estate world and really know what you're up to. So thank you for being on the show, ready to highlight you. And I think what you're doing is incredible. I think we all as entrepreneurs want to do what you're doing and we haven't just gone that route yet. So thank you for being on the show. I know Cody and I are super excited uh, for this this podcast. Cool. Well, thank, thanks for having me. I, I, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, Brian, uh, just give us a quick intro. Most of the guys should know you that listen to us, but if they don't know you, you know, what's a little bit about your background? What are you doing? Uh, what have you been up to? Yep. Yeah. So I'm 35 years old. I live in the Philadelphia area. Uh, my brother and I are in the the franchise business. We operate 30, soon to be 32, uh, automotive repair franchises. And so we do, uh, I don't know, we'll do probably $40 million this year in, in sales. And, um, you know, a lot of it we've we've grown. It was kind of it was a family business. My dad started in the the seventies, uh, ran it for thirty something years. Had like six locations or, or so with my uncle. I joined after college in twenty ten. Knew nothing about cars. You know, I had a, a good amount of business experience just from a bunch of you know small things I kind of did did on the side and joined the business and you know started learning it, networking, trying new things. Took over the business, started growing it uh, sales wise, and you know I wanted to make more money and my dad and uncle own 90 something percent of the company. And it's the only way I can make more money is, you know, if, if there were some stores that my brother and I owned, uh, together, you know, he, he kind of, he had joined up at this point. So we went out and got a bank loan and bought, uh, two locations, uh, that we owned kind of 50, 50 and, you know, still all ran it as one company, but, you know, separate, separate owner ownerships. And then we just started snowballing. We took the cash we made on those two, two locations. We bought, I was in 2016, another one in 2017. We opened up uh, another one and bought another one in 2018, 2019. We did another, took a year off in 2020. And then in 2021, uh, made a big jump, bought seven locations from another older guy that wanted out somewhere to my dad and um, in New Jersey. And then once we were in there, we were able to kind of, you know, and had a, had a good foothold on the market. We were able to buy up a, a bunch more in New Jersey and then uh, did another deal, buying another five and, um, so, anyway, so a lot of our growth has been through acquisition, and um, that's how we've kind of built this thing from from six locations to now, said in, in the thirties over the last couple of years. That's incredible. And then, what I mean, if if I missed it, I'm sorry. What what are the, what is the franchise that you're yeah, buying? So they're Midas, um, Midas, Midas shops. Yep, got it. And then, how did you identify to just to to start accumulating on your own? And then now that you're in the process of um, instead of just buying one offs, now you you bought seven and 
you know, what are you identifying? What are you looking for in these Midas's? Yeah. So for us, I mean, so we're in retail automotive. So our biggest challenge is, is real estate, right? We need 4,000 square foot, you know, ideally an existing automotive shop on a major road, like next to a Taco Bell or KFC that's, that's zoned right and not too close to an existing shop, not existing way to shop. And so it's really hard to find like new locations that meet, you know, all this criteria. So, you know, or so the easiest path is just to buy out another franchisee who occupies that real estate that now we want to occupy. Right. And so that is, that is like the primary driver of it all. I would say, um, you know, we've opened up new locations. We converted a pet boys. We opened up a closed one, you know, we're actively looking for more spots, but you know, it becomes really costly to try to have to buy and knock down and build something. And sometimes the, the economics of these things don't make sense to do that versus, you know, I can go and I can buy an existing franchisee out for, you know, not that much money. And, you know, we can, you know, we're pretty good operators. So we can, we can take that business and we can make it cash flow a whole lot more. Uh, that is like the quickest path to cash uh, for us. Man, I have so many questions. Um, but the first one is why, why next to a Taco Bell or a KFC? <laughs> I don't know. It's, just what we, it's de- demographics, I guess. I don't know. Most of my okay. stores are literally. It's a, there's a couple Burger Kings in there too, but um, we're not we're not good enough to be, be by a chicken. Is there a correlation? Like the KFC kicks ass, and then the the ones next to Burger Kings well, don't. Kick and ass. it's like Midas's are generally it's an older brand. Most of the locations we're taking over have been there for decades. Like we're talking the 70s, the 80s, they were built there, and so we're in legacy neighborhoods by legacy fast food joints, right? Like. So we're not by KFC. We're not by Mod Pizza. We're not by Five Guys. Like all those are going to be in other areas. Um, you know that is a hard for us to get real estate in. I'm really interested. So, uh, I mean, this started out as your dad's business, but he didn't tag along with you as you started to grow it. Um, and it sounds like you actually. I think you said your dad wanted out at some point. Did you buy him out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bought them out. I don't know, 20, 2020, I think, you know, we, we kind of, we had enough cash. Maybe it was 21. Um, I, I forget time, time flies here, but yeah, it was, it was kind of, we, after we did the New Jersey acquisition, you know, we were making some pretty good money from that. And you know, we took, took a bunch of that, um, and to, to buy him out. And so now, yeah, they're out completely. They own one of the properties. Um, you know, we own six of the properties and then we rent the rest. Okay. All right. I was curious about that, whether you own the property or whether you, uh, you know, and is it beneficial to own the property? I heard uh, a pretty interesting strategy in the real estate space, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with this. You're, you probably see it a bunch, but I've I I heard from this guy that was doing something pretty similar to you guys, and I don't know this may be accretive to your strategy or not, but he was buying the he'd buy the brick and mortar, sorry, the real estate as well as the business itself. He would then write a lease to himself. He would sell the land. Uh, or sorry, he would sell the building with a brand new, you know, corporate back lease, rolled it, roll it forward into like a 1031 into his next set of acquisitions with, you know, with the business included. Yeah. Now I get pitched, um, I get pitched that all the time from real estate brokers that call me. Well, okay. You just, okay. You sell, you just sell lease back in your thing. And we're like, nah, we're good. We're good. But uh, yeah, I could see that. That's what uh, Mavis is a big competitor around here. That is the entire strategy. Like the stores honestly suck. Like they, they're terrible operators, but they sign these, these crazy, they build these beautiful buildings. They'll sign a lease for 15 or 20 grand a month rent. And then they sell it off. Uh, you know, they buy the building for whatever, 800,000 and they sell it for like 2 million or two and a half million or whatever, whatever the numbers are. And I think they make, I think their business, their stores break even and they make all their money on these, like flipping the real estate. Uh, it's like a private equity backed. Oh, that's horrible though. Because uh, then the franchise or 
is well, they're, they're corporate. They're corporate. Right? Oh, okay, so they're really, okay. gotcha. But yeah, we're, uh, they're good funnel for employees, but, um, <laughs> what, um, what, you know, what, it, what about you guys as operators has enabled you to take it to the size versus what your dad was doing? Um, cause I mean, six stores is probably vastly different than like 30. And I guess, is it, you know, and what kind of enabled you to do that? I think this is really interesting where you've probably been around the family business forever, but you just came at it from a totally different lens and, um, you know, you've exploded it. Yeah. So, I mean, they were very, they were very hands-on, right? In the stores every single day, like, you know, and at a certain point you, you as a person only have so much capacity and so much time and bandwidth and the stress of it all. Right. And so like a lot of their success and it was tremendous success. I mean, it, you know, it was obviously we had a great childhood. They paid for college, all the stuff. Um, but they were very kind of hands-on. And I think for a while, you know, I was the same exact way then that's like, that's how you do it. Right. You're hands-on, you're in the stores every day, you, you do it yourself. And then, you know, but at a certain point kind of decided, Hey, like, and that was like a limiting belief for me to say, Hey, like we can't expand further than, you know, a store that I can drive to in, you know, a half hour and be home, you know, each way or whatever. Um, and so that kind of held me back for a while until I think we realized that like, you know, we were successful because we're hands-on we have people in the stores who care about our image, who care about process, who care about, you know, the quality of the work that we're doing. And that if I could find other people who could, care 80% or of a similar grade to, to, to me, right. Then it becomes, it becomes scalable. And so I think once we are able to kind of shift that mentality from, instead of like, I need to do it, I just need to find people who will have a similar drive and these traits, which are these, you know, these district managers that we have. And then they're the ones who are in the stores every single day who care about image, who are doing the hiring, who are creating the culture and all those things that allows us to then duplicate it to, you know, stores in New Jersey or stores in, you know, an, an hour north of us in a market in another market. And we're looking at, you know, m you know, markets south of us and you know, west of us to say, hey, can we continue that model where we just find these people? Uh, and so that was the big like mindset shift, which is like, I need to do it all myself to I just need to find people who can do it at least 80 percent uh, as good as I would do it. So this is um, this is super interesting. So I also I also kind of I grew up with maybe not the same background, but a similar background in that my dad was very like, you know, the value you create comes from your work, right? And that built an incredible work ethic and instilled an incredible work ethic to me. But as I started to scale my businesses, um, I really had to like, I really had to break out of that. Uh, and it was really, it was, it was actually, it's something that was ingrained to me from a very young age. Like, you know, the harder you work, the more money you'll make. Um, and that's true up to a certain point. And then you hit like this point where that just like you plateau with that type of mindset. I'm curious, how did you, you know, what clicked, what changed, um, what changed in your life? How did you get to that point where you stopped doing what you'd always seen working and, uh, and, and kind of changed? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was course. honestly, it was like joining abundance and being a ground guys like, you know, like you guys and, and many other in our, in our tribe. I mean, I had, you know, when I joined, so I joined in 2020, February, 2020, it was right before COVID. And even then we had, we had 12 locations. Like I was the main guy running everything. Uh, and you know, I had, I had like another assistant, you know, we were in one market. I had another district manager, maybe, maybe, maybe two at that point. I kind of forget, but that, that would help with a lot of like the, the minutia stuff. Um, and so, you know, is being around guys thinking bigger and then it's like, all right, well, how can we think bigger? Like we're pretty good at this thing and how, how can we scale it? And how do we think like the who, not how, and, and all that stuff. And so, yeah, honestly, it's just, you know, upgrading your network has been a big part of it. 
Uh, and then even the next level now, which was like, you know, we had the multiple markets. I had five guys were all reporting to me as, you know, I guess I was like the COO role, CEO role, whatever. And, you know, as of August, we hired a COO to come in. So it was a guy, ex-military, special ops, like super organized, super driven, very intelligent. And so now, you know, he knew nothing about automotive, but he was like a very good, he's a very good leader and good with people. And so now they all report to him and you know, I have almost no daily responsibilities and he's, he's better at it than me. Like he, he is more organized. He is like on point every single day, every single week. And like last week we had a record or not a record. We had a record sales week for the, for the year, second best ever. And so like the business continues to grow, even though like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the one driving like that ship. So then I can focus on some of the acquisitions and some of this other stuff I'm working on, which we can talk about later. But um, that's like then the next level. So the first is like, it's like replacing yourself at every level. So replace yourself as like a store manager, replacing yourself as the district manager, replacing yourself as the COO. And um, I think that's how these guys like, like, Osborne and whoever can build these massive companies because they can start it, but then they they continue to to move forward and not get stuck in in those weeds uh, and handcuffed by it all. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it. Uh, I got really good advice from uh, Bill Perkins, and he goes, "Fire yourself as fast as possible." And and I, I I try to he's he and I'll say this over and over again. He's like, "Pasha, you're not. There's eight billion people on this planet, and there's a lot more people who are better at whatever you're doing than you are. So just get yourself out of the way to scale and getting that human capital on, on that task. So I have, I have a few questions for you, Brian. Um, you know, some people think, well, why franchises? Like, why wouldn't you just go open up your own shops? And, but why, why pay those fees or why do it this way? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so when I look at it, a, a franchise, a couple things, number one, there's, there's really three big buckets of fees. So you've got the franchise fee. So this is going to be the initial like ticket to entry. You know, it could be, it could be 50,000, it could be 30,000, it could be 40,000. It's something in that range. And, you know, that's going to give you a license for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you know, whatever it is. So Midas, for example, I think the initial fee is 35,000 for one. And then every 10 years is $10,000. So you've got that. Then you've got your royalty. So that's, let's say five, six, 7%. Midas, it's about five. And so that fee is going to the franchisor to support, you know, them, their corporate staff, it's their profit center, you know, probably their primary profit center. Uh, that is like the real cost. And then you've got advertising, you know, which is going to be another, you know, five, six, seven, twelve, you know, whatever the business kind of uh, dictates that is required to spend, um, but but in that case, like I view that as you know, hey, you got to spend money on marketing to drive the business, no matter what you're in, right? Whether it's an independent or a franchise, you got to five, you got to spend five percent, you got to spend twelve percent, whatever whatever the metrics are. And so, really, I kind of view it as five percent, right? So the business, to, you know, setting the initial fee aside, it costs five percent to run to be a franchise to hang the Midas banner for for us. And for me, like I can open up a brand new store. Uh, you know, we've done a couple times now. And day one, the phone's ringing. By month three, we're profitable. And like, you know, if, if it was beers, tire, and auto, like, it, you know, that wouldn't that wouldn't be the case. Like, and I'd say, yeah, I'd say five percent, but I probably have lower sales. I mean, maybe not, but you know. And, and then I'd also I'd have to worry about the marketing. I'd have to I'd have to hire people to do all the SEO and, and the website and like all the software stuff and like, you know, all that is taken care of. So all I I need to do is focus on operations. Like, how do we, you know operate the best possible business to, to make money. So I focus on profitability. I let them handle everything else. And for, for me, 5% for that, it's totally, it's totally, totally worth it. Uh, you know, in automotive too, it's access to that real estate that is really, really hard to get. 
So I have I have a path to it. Right now, I could get it independently. I could have small gas stations. I could I could go a different model. Uh, I have access to the real estate. A big part of its community. So, you know, I think a lot of things that people don't know as outsiders is the strength of the community. So you join a franchise and you are instantly part of this like country club of other people who are in the exact same boat as you, who are all driver, driving the same business. And so different franchises have different levels of connection within the communities, uh, similar to like, you know, GoBundance would. And it's like, you kind of get out what you put in. Uh, but for me, like I'm pretty active. So I, you know, we would have performance groups. I got invited to, to join 20 other so other franchisees at the time who would meet every quarter in Dallas or, or wherever. And we'd all come and share best practices and challenges and ideas. And I go back all energized and put these things into to play. And I bring my ideas to them to, to share. And you go to these, you know, franchise conventions and you get to network with other franchisees from around the country that you wouldn't otherwise connect with. Some of them become friends. So I have, you know, a group of guys who are similar ages, who are all building, you know, companies that are, you know, one of the guys is 50 units. who's a little bit ahead of us and other guys are in the twenties and the fifteens and we're all texting each other and, you know, trying to help each other along. And so I think, you know, that is a huge, huge benefit of, of it all versus like being on your own or joining some like networking group or whatever, but it's not the same as like, a buddy, a bunch of guys I can text within a minute and get an answer on, you know, what are you doing about this or how have you changed this or, you know, whatever fran- like business specific issue I've got or question. You literally have the same systems and the same marketing and the same customers. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty incredible opportunity. I never thought of that. Yeah. So that's like a huge, huge part of it. And then somebody new like to get into it, you know, it's the business in a box. It's like, here's the tool and here's how you do it. And here's the website. And here's like the business model. And here's how we're going to get customers. And some of them have national accounts that immediately you can get plugged into. You know, they've got training where they're going to like train you and then they're going to send people on site to work with you. And like instantly you have all that, you get the brand. Like I said, you've got, you've got all that stuff. Some of them have financing connections that'll help you along the way. I mean, we're big enough. We've got our own now, but anyway, tons of stuff. But for me, that's like, that's why it makes sense for me. There's so many important things in there. First of all, the community aspect of it. So like, that's what we do in GoBundance. That's what we do with our masterminds and you learn from each other and, and, and grow. But it sounds like, you know, a big argument for franchises is that you're an entrepreneur, focus on entrepreneurial things. Go get a go get a business and and then learn how to do the important things like delegation and scale, right? And it, it unlocks that. And it's already a national brand that's done the marketing for you, right? Um, so, but and another question is, so someone's looking to get into franchises. Is we talk about it as entrepreneurs all the time, right? That's it's just something that keeps coming off, and we see someone like you having great success at it. Um, w- what separates a good franchise? from a bad franchise. And if someone's trying to get into a franchise and they're they're just like, oh, maybe I want to buy a franchise. What advice would you give somebody who's new, already an entrepreneur, wants to get into something like this? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. There's 3,000 franchises out there in the US. There's like 250 new ones every year. And I'm sure just as many that die. And so it's kind of this like <laughs> yeah. revolving thing. So how do you pick the right one? It's, it, it, is, it is a big question. And there are some some bad actors out there and ones that you know, even if they have good intentions, they're just not good operators because, you know, ha- running a franchise or is like completely different than running the business, right? When you're a franchise or you're focused on like training and support and like, you know, the marketing component, like you're not focused on operations. You're not like that's franchisees focused on operations, right? You're in the like 
you're in the vision and the development and like and selling franchises which is different than selling tires or whatever whatever else like success so a lot of times it's the franchisor or the it was someone who has a successful business and, and turns it into a franchise to, to sell it's really like how do they do pivoting right and so just because they were successful running their own business doesn't necessarily mean they'd be successful running the franchise and so uh that's very common so then it's a question of as part of the due diligence of you know what level of support are they providing you know and you get this by well interviewing them and then interviewing other franchisees who are already kind of you know who've already bought in they're already kind of in the game for 6 months or a year or however long and and really finding out that those questions right how much do they support you um are they are they are they are they growing their support as fast as they're growing franchises i think this is a big one i see in a lot of these franchises that have ridiculous growth numbers they're they're selling they have like they have like 20 open they've sold 100 they sold 200 like they're catching like fire they become really popular online and twitter and all these things which is which is great to see but then there's this unknown question of all right so like they have 200 people it's just like 10x what they're now and have they 10x their field support like and where are the bottlenecks and so those are some of the questions i have uh when i'm like working with so i work with people to help them find franchises so this is like another part of your question which is how do you find them you know, they can work with me or, or other, uh, it's called franchise consulting. There's other people out there who basically have these, these affiliate, you know, referral agreements with these franchisors and we can help narrow down the options, um, and take 3000 down to like five, um, based on skills, goals, you know, budget location, all that stuff. Um, so those are some of the big questions. So you're also, you, you kind of, you kind of glazed over it. So you're also, you also are doing like franchise. Cause I know you do a bunch, by the way, one of the best things that you can do is sign up for your blog. Um, cause you write a ton of just awesome free information. Uh, I read it and I don't even have a franchise, but I just find it fascinating. Um, I was telling, I was telling Brian before the show, I constantly have to remind myself, no, 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 no. Don't chase shiny. Um, because like I'm an entrepreneur and that's what I do. So every time I read about Brian, like doing some crazy seller financing deal on Twitter, I'm like, son of a bitch, like <laughs> <laughs> wrong business. And then I, I gotta, I gotta like refocus myself. I snap the rubber band on my wrist and, you know, remind myself to not uh to not go chase shiny so i think following your blog is is and and you on twitter is super interesting but um but you're also doing uh you also do some private consulting yeah yeah so how it works is well so i got on twitter like last year and started talking about how we've, we've grown our business and and you know kind of the pros and cons of franchise and all these all these questions and so i had all these people messaging me saying hey well how do i find a franchise like what are the things you recommend all the all these all these questions and so then i learned there's this whole world it's called franchise consulting where basically there's a bunch of these affiliate groups that have you know re established relationships with franchisors so i joined the largest one that's got 700 or so so they've already got these agreements i've got this portal uh so basically you know, Cody decides to chase, chase some shiny objects. You come to me, you know, I, inter I interview you. I, I kind of get your budget, your skills, your, your, uh, you know, what, what zip codes you're interested in, all this stuff. And then I can kind of go through this list and say, Hey, of, you know, of the 700, there's about 30. I like of the 30, I think that these five would be really good. I can then check do territory availability and, and see what's available. Like with a click of a button because the franchisors can respond through this, this internal system. And then, you know, go to you and say, hey, this is what's available at a high level. Do you like it? Does it spark your interest? If it does, yeah, I make introductions to the franchisor and then uh, work with you through, there's like a seven-step process that, that they take you through. And so you kind of have someone in your corner to, to work, work with you the whole time. So you're not going at it alone and it costs nothing. Um, and all the fee, like well, the fees that we get paid are already baked into the franchise fee. 
And so like, even if you didn't use anybody, there's, there's like, there's, there's no saving, there's no savings, uh, either way. Like it is what it is. It's all FDD. It's all written in stone. And so, um, so anyway, I'm, I'm working on building that into more of like a, like a brokerage model now. So I started it, uh, it was just me just to really learn it. Like kind of the, the replace yourself, like we were just talking about, like, this is exactly the model I'm following or I, I figured it out. I'm pretty good at it. Right. Uh, I, I can generate way more leads than I can handle through, through primarily through Twitter and the newsletter and, and going on podcasts and stuff. And so, but there's tons of other people out there who are really good at this as well, who just don't have like the, the audience that I have. And so I'm working on this model where they'll basically come under me and all the leads come through me. Uh, you know, I, I refer them over to, to kind of my team and then, you know, we, you know, I'm, we're working the same system here and, uh, we split the, split the commissions. And so, um, I'm working on trying to build that out now. And then it's, and then it's like infinitely scalable for me, right? I can, I can generate whatever hundreds of leads and, you know, just continue to build out my, like, you know, my consultant, um, database of guys who, who I feel are, are really good and would re- represent, you know, represent me well. And so, um, anyway, that's a, that's a whole new thing I'm, I'm working on building, but I'm, I'm following just kind of like the real estate model kind of side of it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could build out the same thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. That's, I mean, it seems perfect, especially if you're building out expertise in the space, how can you, and I, I, I you know, I was listening to how, uh, Nick Huber, um, sweaty startup, um, who, who's kind of a, I guess, polarizing figure on Twitter, but what I think he has done really well is grabbed onto like, how do I maximize the power of my already existing expertise network and, 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 uh, audience and leverage that into like some sort of income producing thing. And I, I think, you know, more power to you if you can do that. Um, seems like a, seems like a no brainer. How, uh, so out of curiosity, can you buy an existing, so like you had a bunch of, fr- you know, franchise experience within the Midas network. And so when you went to go buy one, there are probably very little barriers to entry, but could I, for example, no experience in automotive, I'm an idiot. Uh, I can, I, I, I used to know how to change my own oil. Um, probably no longer could find the dipstick if I wanted to. Uh, but could I, could I go buy a, a franchise or do I have to do the whole franchisee from the ground up. That's one of the best parts is, you know, a franchisor will help turn decades of experience into days of information for you. And so, you know, there's a great plumbing company, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing's third largest plumbing company in America. That's a franchise. And, you know, none of their franchisees have, have plumbing experience. And they're like number two franchisees, uh, like a like a female that you know has no plumbing experience is doing I don't know ten 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 twelve million dollars a year in, in revenue, just crushing it. And so, you know, a lot of them will because because they don't want you as the as the owner to touch a wrench. Like they want you to hire people who know how to touch wrenches, right? Just like running any other business, like just like in real estate, like your goal is not to go change the toilets and like lease out the units. Your goal is to like hire people who can do that stuff. It's the same thing. It's the same thing in, the, in this, and they have systems to help to you. I like to think about it as like, does the business have problems that I enjoy solving? And so, you know, if you want to get into the home healthcare business, right, where you're like hiring people for 15 bucks an hour and billing it at 30 bucks an hour and your your spread's $15 an hour and, you know, you need to hire, you need hundreds of these people, right? Uh, the problem you want to enjoy solving is like the hiring and turnover of, you know, lower skilled employees. And do you want 200 employees? Do you want 300? Do you want 700? Like to, to make a bunch of money, right? And so that, that's not a challenge that I necessarily would like. But 
you know, in, in Midas, you know, it's, it's more our, our, we have a couple challenges, but the ones I enjoy solving are the people development side of it. It's like, we want to see people grow from, you know, system manager, to store manager, potentially district manager for me and help them grow their skill sets, help them grow their income. I want to solve, you know, the acquisition side. How do I help these older people that want to get out, create some win-win acquisition opportunities, right? How do we solve the real estate? How do we find new locations? And so anyway, that's how I like to think about it uh, is more, does the business have challenges I enjoy solving? And I don't really care what the widget is. I think most, a lot of people don't have to be passionate about it. Some people do, but. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day that like, at a certain point, you really just have to enjoy, you have to enjoy building a business, like regardless of what the underlying product is, because eventually if you build a big enough business, you're no longer going to, you're no longer going to be an expert in, in like a specific product, right? I, I got a call later with one that's a dog poop pickup business. So it's a super simple franchise. You like, you know, have people that, that go on a recurring basis and pick up the dog poop in your yard for 12 bucks a week or 15 bucks a week or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so I saw this the other day. How does this make money? Because I did like, I'm like, it doesn't like it's $15 it an hour. I actually, yeah, I actually it costs $15 to drive somewhere. Like no, how, no, how, per, per week. And the person's probably only going to spend 15 minutes. So, so it's like a $60 yeah, billable hour. And then their goal is all like, um, is consolidation. So they get your house, you know, you're going to be in a higher income area. Right. And then they're going to work. They're going to work really hard to target as many as your neighbors as they can. Cause they need consolidation to cut those yeah, yeah. times down. That makes and, sense. Um, I don't know. So their FDD, the one I'm looking at, or I'm talking to, the FDD uh, has their corporate locations, which is unclear how big it is, but I think it's I think it's a DC metro, so it's it's not small. But anyway, they do four million dollars at at a DC in net, like eight hundred grand. I actually looked into one of these in Vegas when I still lived there <laughs> eight years ago. I actually looked into, uh, yeah, dog shit uh, cleanup service because we had. I was like, why why are we paying this guy this much? I was like, I wonder. How was the hourly? And I just went down that rabbit hole of like, you know, you know, but some people, are like, oh, it's not for me. I don't want to be a pickup dog poop or whatever. And other people, like, I don't get, like, I don't, like I said, I don't care. Like, whatever, I'm providing a job, providing a service. Uh, I interviewed on my podcast the guy who was the number one, who was the very first franchisee for, for this one brand. And uh, he, he loved the business. He said it was super, it was simple, it was recurring revenue, it was easy to hire, it was super niche. And like, he wanted to go to people, he wanted a home, a home services company. He was like, I checked all my boxes. And, um, Anyway, so. the riches are in the niches. Yep. Um, hey, just really quickly, explain what an FDD is for anyone who doesn't know. What yeah, yeah. So like, it's called an FDD. It stands for Franchise Disclosure Document. It's like a 250 to 500 page document that you are going to sign when you join a franchise. And basically, it's going to spell out all of, you know, the fees, the restrictions, the... Um, you know, any like disclosure. So if they have any like lawsuits, they have to disclose them or bankruptcy. It's going to talk about, it's going to have the contact information for all the franchisees. It's going to have audited financial statements of the franchisor. So you can see that they have a healthy balance sheet or, or not. And um, you get it very early in the process. So like, you know, day two or whatever, call number two, they're going to send it to you and, and then they're going to review it with you. And it's it's formatted in a way where every single one is formatted in the, in the identical process. There's 23 items or like chapters and every single one is laid out in the same manner. It makes them very easy to read. And then uh, at the end, that is the document, that is the contract that you are signing. So um, it's important to understand in there, like the do's and the don'ts, territory protections, all that stuff. With what you're doing, is there is there like a simple metric or rule of thumb of that, you know, uh, this franchise store wants needs to be making net of gross income or like, do you look for 
properties or I mean not properties um, businesses that are generating two million in revenue and more because uh, I've I've always heard that in the business world. What do you have any have rules of thumbs or metrics that you look at? I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, it's a common, you know, most businesses are going to probably net ten to fifteen percent. There's some that can do twenty if like you know, they don't have, like if they're more territory based, you know, the painting, the residential cleaning, the dog poop, whatever, a lot of those can hit like 18 to 20% because they don't have the, they don't have the leases and, and all the insurance and the stuff that goes along with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, honestly, I wouldn't be interested in anything that that's less than 10. Um, I think the margins are too, too thin on it. So that'd be my, uh, that, that'd be it. And then, then from there, you know, part of the reason some of these work for is because on a, on a single unit basis, it's buying themselves a job. So like for, for our mighty shops, right? The average one might do 1.2 million, let's say, and it's, let's say it nets like a, like a hundred, 150,000, whatever. So for somebody who's owning it, like and it nets 150,000 or hundred grand or whatever, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a job for them. Right. And so it nets 150 after paying a manager yeah. or, or, yeah, or do you it. have to be the manager? No, that's like after paying a manager. Right. So it's like 12, let's call it 12%. And, you know, so, so for somebody to sell it to somebody else as like, that's their only thing they have, like they kind of have a job. Right. And so, you know, we're able to buy these things for like, you know, whatever, two and a half times and, and roll them up into us, but we don't really care. Cause then, you know, we had another two locations. It's another $250,000 of, of income that we're probably getting increased to 300 or 350 or, you know, whatever we can get it to. Um, and it's just like nothing changes in our life. Right? We already have all the systems. We have the payroll, the district manager, the marketing, and all the things set. We're just kind of adding on and layering this, this profit. And so one day when we sell, like, obviously we're going to be able to sell at a, at a much higher multiple than uh, two and a half or three times because we're, you know, we're, we're consolidating these things. So that's, that's part of like, the economics questions on, on a single unit, it, it kind of isn't that attractive, right? But like, if it's big part of this bigger play where you can like, you can roll up multiple of them, then that's where it gets pretty exciting. Got it. I, I, I used to work at Papa Murphy's when I was younger and uh, I used to love it. I used to love the owners that I was working for. Previously, they had opened up another store and we all worked really hard for them. And that's what they kept doing. They ended up selling one of the, the, the one that I was working at to an, he essentially had a W two and bought this as a side investment, right? The Papa Murphy's, and I remember very viscerally that it was really tough on him to have another job and to have a, a franchise as well. And so, do you recommend that? Do you recommend to if you're going to succeed as a franchisor, just to uh, really dedicate all your time to it, or can you have both? What What do you see in your world? Yeah, so it. It all it all depends. Like, uh, you know, if, if, I, I like to say like a, a franchise. Like, there's there's a big spectrum, right? And owning a franchise, it's it's like this mode of transportation to get to a hundred million or five million or wherever you're trying to go, right? And like, you could take a bike there, you could take a scooter, you could take a car, you could take a train, you could take a rocket ship. It really it really depends. So for some people, yeah, they treat it as a side hustle when it performs like a side hustle, and they're going to get there really slow, and it's going to be bumpy, and they're going to have a lot of problems. And people who are all in. You know, they're going to get there a lot faster and, um, you know, it takes a lot of work to get that plane off the ground. And so it's possible. There are some businesses that lend themselves better to semi-absentee ownership. Uh, food is not one of them. <laughs> so I think that was, that was part of it. Like there's a lot of moving parts. I know in like the dog poop pickup or like there's some other ones that, you know, have a lot less moving parts and the, the businesses are very simple and the franchisor, 
will do a lot of the marketing for you and a lot of the like lead generation, uh, those will lend themselves better to that to a certain point. Like then it's kind of this question of, you know, at what point are you going to make the jump? And some people say, oh, well, I want to wait until the business like makes as much money as my W2, but then it's kind of hard because they're not really spending enough time to like get the business up to the point that they got to. So it's, it's kind of this like in between that the person has to really get to the point that, all right, I, I at least believe in this business. It looks like it's working. I'm growing every month. If I go all in, I know that I, you know, I have confidence in myself uh, to take it to the next level. Out of curiosity, could somebody, so I, I quick question on returns, because it kind of sounds like you're saying you could buy something for 2x, 3x uh, net, right? Is that an existing one for two or three times uh, you know, net? So roughly, let's like use your example. Uh, if that area is netting you know, $150,000 and you buy it for, I don't know, let's call medium between two and three, uh, let's call it $400,000. Um, and you get some form of seller carry. I mean, it sounds like the returns are pretty astronomical, at least compared to yeah, no, they're, our they're, world. They're the good. cash on cash seems astronomical. I mean, I, I, my best, my best one was uh, a store seller finance. So when, we didn't even talk about seller financing, but you can get seller financing uh, in franchises for for a lot of reasons. But so I bought this one. Yeah, three. It was it was that. It was doing about a million. It was net in like what's called a hundred. We bought it for three fifty. We put fifty thousand dollars down. Uh, he, he carried the rest and in, we had to change over the entire staff. Like literally a hundred percent of the staff changed within a month. Um, and we, we did 1.8 million that, and the first year that we owned it and we made like $400,000 off of 50 K. So, and then that one, that one catapulted the rest of a, a lot of other growth. And so, um, I've, I've had other deals. I mean, I had another deal that we bought six, the five locations, the guy is, it was like 2 million total. The guy wanted the guy wanted fifty thousand dollars down and just wanted cash flow. And so, wow. you know that thing was net and then like five hundred six hundred k a year. And now we have debt service and stuff. That's you know that's what kind of terms? Year. Like, uh, are they doing like ten year notes or yeah, ten year, fixed? twelve years? Yeah. yeah, fully amortized. Yep. Um, and so that one's that one's that one does pretty well now for us. Um, and so yeah, you never you never know. And sometimes these guys want out and they just want out. Like they don't really care about like this big equity multiple. They don't really care about you know. They just want cash flow and they and they just want peace of mind and they want to stop dealing with all these employee issues. And so uh, you know, we become the easy button. No, that's incredible, man. Um so if you you know, if you go into this, uh what what would you need to do like for somebody, maybe somebody's leaving like a different industry or they're leaving or they've sold a previous business and they're looking for their next thing, you know if somebody's coming in with more, so it sounds like you can, you can do this for pretty low amount of equity. If somebody's coming in with more equity, do they have necessarily a, a significant advantage? Um, would they be able to, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for somebody that maybe I, so I, I, I asked this question because I, I, I have a handful of friends that have sold stuff for like nine figures. And then I have a bunch more friends that have sold stuff for like a few million dollars. Right. They, they, they didn't like, it's not kind of fuck you money, go retire. Um, and they're trying to figure out how do I build, you know, and, and so they have different allocations, right? Um, would this be an allocation class for somebody with a few million dollars of liquidity that's like, okay, I have a certain allocation to real estate. I have a cer certain allocation to public mark, you know, public markets. Is it, you know, could they, could they, with that amount of capital put, 
you know, an allocation into franchise or, you know, into franchisees, if they want to, you know, a little bit more of an active role, or maybe even, you know, what, what's kind of that bar for having a more passive role. And uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, could this be kind of an, an asset allocation? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess a couple things. One is, you know, I, I guess it's always, a, I, I have this concern that people put money into things and then if, if they don't have a good operator, it doesn't, it doesn't work out because it's highly, a lot of these businesses are highly dependent on the operations. So that would be my concern if it was purely treated as an investment, uh, as in a, in they, but they were the franchisee, I would be concerned. If someone else was the franchisee who was signing that personal guarantee and they were just funding that person, um, I mean, I'm looking at doing that now. Like I'm totally comfortable with that, that version of it. Um, so yes, it is, it is definitely uh, one, it's just a matter of how they treat and, you know, if they're all in on it, like they're putting the money up, but it's going to be this business that they're going to build, um, you know, all, all, all the more better. And yeah, there are, there are some franchises that are more, more retail based concepts. I'd say like, you know, there's ones in fitness, there's ones in food, there's ones in like, you know, automotive and, and things that definitely have a higher barrier of entry that, um, are, are more scalable because you're not, you're, you're, you're more dependent on the process instead of dependent on the people. Like in a lot of home service businesses, they're like the, the poop pickup or the painting and the cleaning or all these things. They're easy to get started. They're cheap to get started. They have low overhead, but you're highly dependent on the, the people performing the process. And generally those are harder to scale. Like you don't see a home service company across the nation or you don't see many of them at least versus, you know, you see restaurants with hundreds of locations. You see even automotive, there's hundreds, there's guys with hundreds of locations. Um, it's possible in fitness. Uh, we see that across too. So, but, but all those require much higher barriers of entry. And so, yep, totally, totally there. And yeah, uh, uh, there's a number of concepts they could, they could, they could look at. No, it's interesting. I was just curious because, you know, I think that it would be incredibly, uh, you know, it would, it's interesting. It would be nice to be able to have some sort of allocation to, I mean, returns like that, but with like a more passive environment, but it, you know, with a more yeah, passive. Yeah, so there's a couple approach. guys, there's a guy called Fran Shares, I believe it's called. Yeah, Fran Shares uh, that's working on that where it's kind of a crowdfunding for franchises. And so you you put as low as $500 or whatever, and then it goes into this fund and then they kind of fund franchisees. Um, and you're getting like a, it's like a syndication. Uh, they're working on the thing. There's a couple people in the space working on this. Uh, I, like I said, I've got this idea I'm working on where we would fund somebody and then we would have some sort of profit sharing deal. And then we would also provide coaching and kind of like help them grow. Um, and if that works out, yeah, we, we don't want to raise money cause you know, we could, we could scale it for sure. Um, but it could, but I, there's definitely a need. And I think, I think over the next couple of years, we'll see a lot of options where people who want to want to invest in a franchise, but it's like, there's no hard assets. You know, a lot of times it's like you're investing in the people. And so it's, it's definitely a higher risk, less, less collateral. There's like no collateral sometimes. Um, but these are all, yeah, heavy cash flow and, and should be, should be a pretty good return. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. That's uh, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting space. I can't believe, I mean, the ability to, the ability to go in and, you know, turn $50,000 into $400,000 of cash flow is, is just not something we see in our space at all. Um, so that's why I always like, that's why I was saying earlier, I see you on Twitter. I'm like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> and it's hard though, but a lot of, a lot of people get stuck too. A lot of people have one and they think, you know, that's it. And they bought themselves a job. And that's why I think franchising has a bad rap is because a lot of people get into it and they can't, they can't fire themselves. They can't get out of their own way. And then they, they're stuck in it and they don't know what to do. And they're, you know, or they're just satisfied with that. They they bought themselves a job and they they went from making sixty grand to one hundred and sixty grand or two hundred grand, and they're completely content. 
or they bought one of the ones that isn't scalable home services or something so yeah that was a really valuable tip brian so so on that topic what makes you a better operator than the the people you're buying it from like you know the sellers that are just selling it what makes you better yeah well so sometimes is you know in, in my world a number of these guys you know they're they're a retirement age so like they've been in it their whole life you know they were really good operators for many years and they're just tired of it right uh and so some of it is just they're kind of on the tail end uh some of it's a lot of it's culture just like you know we kind of have this this culture and this drive of hey we want to be the best and like even though we we're having these good weeks like we're always looking to how can we be better how can we be better and um you know we're we're all of our team we're like pretty, pretty techie. So like we've got, you know, our whole company's on Slack. And so throughout the day, we got a live sales ticker that we've like custom built. Um, nobody else has this. So like every, every hour or two, it's popping up a sales ranking of all of our stores of what they've, you know, what do they have open in, in tickets? And then what do they have, they have, what do they have closed guys are posting tickets, you know, jobs they sold that are like, you know, whatever a thousand dollars over or good stories. Um, uh, you know, f- from the day people are commenting in emojis and gifts and all this stuff. And so like, we try to make it fun, uh, we, we try to make it competitive. Uh, I think, you know, pe- people like that where they, they, otherwise they're kind of alone on an Island, like these stores, these single stores or these two stores, like, you know, maybe the guys, they never really see each other. They're just kind of like alone and eventually get bored or tired. It's like the same old thing every single day. And, you know, we're got these competitions. We got the Slack going on. We'll do zoom calls every pretty, pretty much every week. Um, they'll do huddles. Like we got these, all these custom reporting and dashboards we've built, um, get really good insight into the numbers. And so, we're just like very active in, in managing the business and wanting to improve. And, you know, we have rewarding compensation plans and, you know, we pay more than we probably should. And guys can make a lot of money, like six figures. My best tech makes like, you know, I don't know. He can make, two, he can make like 150, 200 grand this year, potentially. Like he's, he's a ridiculous you know, person who can who's like, the, you know, fix like multiple cars at the same time. And so like, we, we just try to design it, you know, like that, that rewards people for who have drive and growth and, um, you know, people, the, the right people like that. Brian, you, you had mentioned something that I think is really important. Um, you had mentioned about asking yourself more powerful questions, and this is going to go and lead into the, how do we get to a hundred on all facets of our life? Right. And you said, you started asking yourself the question, how do I get to 1 million per month instead of 1 million per year? And it reminds me of a Tony Robbins quote saying, you know, successful people are better at asking questions and at, and as a result, they get better answers, right? Um, and so how did that mind shift change for you? When did you get that? What are you looking at now? And how are you getting to that hundred, uh, you know, elusive mark? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, yeah, you ask better questions, you get better answers, right? So I, you know, I've, I've read all of his stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, I think I, you know, and have invested through, you know, through abundance and through just being around other people and then other kind of the personal developments side of it and just trying to try to think bigger and uh, in in as, as, as much as I can in any, any aspect, right. Of how do we, how do we grow Midas? How do we grow the franchising thing? How do I have more time for my wife and my kids and like, you know, live, live the life I want to live. Um, and so I think a lot of it is just continuing to do that self audit of, of where you're at and like, where are you spending time and like, you know, what gives you energy and what kind of drains you. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, if you think, if you put out that bigger number, it's, it, it's like a completely different mindset to, all right, what are, if I wanted to make a million dollars a month, which is like a ridiculous number, right? What would I have to do differently? And like, it's, it's not incrementally changing whatever you're doing now. It's like some massive shifts. Right. And so, um, for us, it's like, all right, for, for Midas, how do we then get it to 
double? How do we get to 60 stores? How can we get to $100 million in revenue? Right in the franchise consulting business, up to this point, it was literally it's me spending all the time. But I only have so many hours in the day to, to do this. Versus, hey, if I can, if I'm really good at generating leads, and if I can generate a hundred leads a day instead of you know two leads a day, and I can have all these other people who have all the time, right? That's like infinitely scalable. And so, just starting to kind of think outside the box versus you know just incrementally like two percent better. I remember when I used to play poker, I used to write down, I want to make 5K a month. And then it was, well, I want to make 10K, 15, 20K, 50K a month. And what I realized is I started to see opportunity differently. So when you ask those powerful questions, you see opportunities where you're like, oh, I'm ready for this. I need to take that risk. I need to go play that game. And it just sounds just like this is when you're asking more powerful questions, you're going to start to train yourself to see better opportunities. Yep. Yeah, it's exactly it. Now I, I see things that I wouldn't see before. And, you know, looking at this franchise, like how do we, how to create these partnerships where we can fund other people and then like participate in upsides and, you know, reduce downside because we know these brands and we can find really good operators and like, and all that stuff. And, and it's trying to leverage knowledge and, and capital rather than trying to leverage time. I think it's the biggest shift. And then once you have that level of the foundation, you just keep getting and stacking on top of it and, and going further and further. So what's, uh, what's next, I guess, uh, you know, what's next in your business? Um, what's kind of the next big, big leap or, you know, for you personally or, 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 or for the business itself? Yeah. So, I mean, for us in the business, I mean, we're looking at new markets, uh, outside of our, our current footprint. Um, you know, we got a couple different leads out there and, you know, it's tough for us cause we got to, we, we, we need five stores to like support the salary of a district manager and stuff. So, you know, you know, we have an opportunity to buy three or two and it's kind of like not enough, but it's enough to get us like interested to say, Hey, can we find two or three or four other stores within this market within 12 months or whatever we believe? Uh, and so we're, we're exploring a couple different markets there. Um, so that's that's exciting. I think I think I think something will come through, and uh, yeah, just continuing to kind of build the audience. Like on, on Twitter, I've I've in the podcast, I've I've had a lot of fun with that, and a lot of opportunities. I got people asking me to be advisors on boards, or like potentially all these other deals. There's all these stuff and stuff in the world that you don't even know, and then you know you start putting it out there, and all these people start coming to you. So uh, yeah, I'm going to continue that. I'm going to continue to try to write good content for the newsletter. Um, like I said, I, I've uh, it's small, but it's growing. I have a really good open rate, and uh, I get a lot of good feedback from it. So. I'm going to continue uh, just trying to build the audience. I think that's like one of the biggest, you know, we have Nick Huber and all these guys who have these big audiences. And then, you know, he's launching these like five other businesses, all, all the partners, right. And he's leveraging his knowledge and his audience and someone else's time. And I think that's like a really interesting model um, that we could do that are just connected to the franchise space, which no one's really doing. So we can kind of be the first mover or potentially like the, one of the biggest players in it. Um, but, you know, we got to get moving on it. So. Cool, man. Oh, it's awesome. You know, one of the, one of the other things, um, you know, that we like to kind of ask about as well is, uh, we understand, and I think, you know, we're all part of an organization that's a little bit more well-rounded than just business. I think every single person on this call probably doesn't need a lot of help being driven in business, but probably needs a little bit more support and being driven in other areas. I'm just curious, you know, road to 100 in your relationships, uh, you know, what are you doing with your family? Um, you know, are you doing anything cool? What's like the coolest thing that you've done with your family over the past year, uh, to really kind of build those, uh, build those ties and build a strong yeah, family. So, I mean, we're, so I have a six year old and a two year old and, you know, my wife and I have been together since high school. And so, you know, I think a big part of it is trying to be more intentional with time, uh, trying to plan out vacations like earlier rather than being all last minute. Uh, we've done some, you know, we, we've done some like 
last minute travel, but just trying to trying to go out and have some fun, but lock in time, I think is a big part of it. And so, I mean, we're, we're booking, you know, concerts and we're booking trips and all this stuff, um, you know, as, as early as we can. And then we got something to kind of like look forward to. And I also, I also attempt or I'm pretty good at it, but, but Friday's, uh, being at home. And so then it's kind of my wife's day to, 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 to go do her stuff. And I am, I'm watching the kid. And so a lot of it's just trying to, trying to, and, and just having flexibility with my schedule. And so it's kind of one of the big goals, everything I'm working on is control of my time, um, to give me the flexibility to, to be there and as much as I can. So powerful. Yeah. Naval says that like true freedom is no, no alarm clock and no calendar. Right. Um, what, uh, what, what are you doing in your health? Um, so live passing, you know, living past, not road to 100, but road past a hundred. What are you, what are you doing in your health? What's the best thing you've done over the past year in your health? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I started working out, you know, two days a week. I, I never really worked out before. And so I've always, you know, had good metabolism, but, um, never really never decided I'm doing strength training and it's been fun. I've been doing it, you know, I started January 22. So it's been, you know, 15 months now and it's, you know, it's, it's great. I can, I can lift more than I ever could before. And, uh, it's, that's been, that's been fun. And, you know, I do, I do my best to avoid sugars and soda and all that crap and just try to, um, I'm not, I'm not the healthiest person. I still eat fast food and stuff, but, uh, well, you're next to all those Taco Bells. Yeah. And KFCs. <laughs> and KFCs. That's, right. that's right. That's right. But, um, but anyway, I mean, I, I'm conscious on, on, on that side of it, but besides that, just, just trying to do what I can get some, get some sleep, you know? Well, it's been incredible having you on. Really appreciate you taking time. Where, uh, where can, where can folks find more about you? Uh, you know, what do you want to, uh, where would you send people if they, if they want to reach uh, out? Yeah. So like we, we mentioned Twitter, it's just at Brian beers with an I, uh, I'm probably the most active there. I also have a newsletter, uh, that you mentioned just brianbeers.com. They can sign up for that. I pretty much send it weekly and it's, you know, I, I kind of cover four topics in the, in the franchise world, which is, you know, discovering. So I, I, I'm kind of doing these little profiles on brands that I find interesting, kind of business model, what's it cost, how much money you can make, kind of operation staffing, like what it, what it looks like. Um, the buying process. So like the due diligence of buying a franchise, like how do you vet, you know, kind of these questions of how do you, how do you vet them? Uh, the, the scaling side of it. So now we're in, how do we scale this thing from one location to, to 10? How do we be a good operator? You know, how do we, how do we acquire through seller financing, all those kinds of questions. And then, um, selling. So like, how do we maximize the business for, for, um, highest value to, to sell it to somebody else. So those are kind of the four, uh, topics I, I look at in the life cycle. And anyway, so those are, those are probably the best two places to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you coming for coming on, man. It was, uh, sharing your perspective. It's totally different than anything, anybody else we've had on. And that's why you're such a good follow on Twitter and why I really enjoy your content so much. Um, you, what you've built is incredible. And I know, uh, coach T says, uh, talk, you know, says the world about you as well. And I can't wait to, uh, wait to hang out personally. And, uh, yeah, man, I look forward to seeing how you guys crush it over the next year. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brian. All right. So that's it for this episode of road to 100. Thank you so much for watching or listening. All the links and resources that we mentioned are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes. And depending on where you're watching or listening to this, if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then please make sure to leave us a five-star review because it truly helps new people to discover the podcast. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, then you can leave your comment below and ask any questions, insights, or thoughts about the episode. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button.